Hey there, I'm Emlyn Miles Mattingly, your host for the Minority Money Podcast. I'm glad you're here. You know why? Because this is the place you can come to get your weekly finance, family, and fitness motivation, not only to experience success in those areas for yourself, but also to help others in our community achieve greatness too. Super happy that you're on the show with me. So let's jump right in. Welcome back to the Minority Money Podcast. I am your host, Emlyn Miles Mattingly, where we are changing the complexion of wealth. Super excited to jump right into this show today. I usually do some updates and stuff like that, but you guys have been doing an incredible job giving us reviews and sharing the episodes. We've seen the downloads really just kind of shoot up over the last couple of weeks. So that's all in part to the listenership. So we thank you here at the Minority Money Podcast to all of you that have listened. And then last week, I asked you guys to share your favorite episodes with people from your family. And I've seen that was part of the spike. So thank you so much for that. Like, I can't thank you enough. Today, you guys, once again, are in for a treat. Today, I have Meg Bartelt on. Meg, let me tell you a little bit about Meg. I usually don't give background of people. I'm not going to give her professional background. I'm just going to give our background. Meg was my mentor my first year running my firm. And I'll tell you this, like she made such an impact in my business and even still makes impacts in my business to this day. I think she might not know how much I look at the stuff that she does just to make sure that I'm still on track. So someone I look up to, someone that I absolutely love watching and someone that I've consider one of my very, very close friends. Meg, welcome to the show. Thank you, Emlyn. <laughs> it's always so nice whenever you compliment me like that, just because when I look at you, I am blown away and intimidated and all of that by everything you've accomplished in such a few years. I think you were a big part of that. Sometimes I think that you don't give yourself enough credit on the impact that you had in that group of people that you mentored. Yeah. Like Kevin Mahoney is another one. Shout out to Kev if he listens to this. <laughs> but I've watched him and he's just kind of shot. He's shot up too. So to have two, yeah, I'm not sure what the other two are doing, Aletta and Angie, I'm not sure. I haven't seen them, but I know what Kevin's doing because I see him on social media. And mm -hmm. that's two of the four that we've seen just, and I'm not saying that the other ladies aren't doing great. I just haven't seen them. So yeah. I think that pat yourself on the back because- All right, is, all right. Seriously, pat yourself on the back. You did a good uh, job. All right, then. For those of those that people that don't know you, why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about who you are, what you do? Sure. Well, I'll start with who I am now, what I'm doing now. So on the personal front, I live in Bellingham, Washington, which is 90 miles north of Seattle. I like to say that I can see Canada from my front porch, uh, which is not literally true. But <laughs> And I am married, and I have two little girls and a big doofy dog. And we're good. We're just like middle-aged woman who runs a business and has two small children. You can probably imagine what life is like. And the business side, I run a financial planning firm called Flow Financial Planning. It's a little over five years old now. And we specialize in working with women in their early to mid careers in the tech industry. We are a team of three. We're a virtual firm. So not only do our clients live all over the country, although primarily in Seattle, Bay Area, New York City, where all the tech hubs are, but all three team members at Flow. We all work from our home offices, so we are virtual in all regards. And before I started my own firm, I did work sort of in the financial planning profession, but I am a career changer. I actually worked for the first little over a decade of my career in the tech industry. So that's the natural progression for when I had to choose sort of what community of people do I want to work with as a financial planner? It's like, well, let's just work with people who are like me, 
or who I was like five years ago. So you talked about your team and you talked about coming into the industry and stuff. And this is just for fun because I just wanted to talk about that. Just tell us about building the team. When we met, I don't think you had a team yet. Yeah, I might not have. You might have had one member. I think you just had hired someone and you're going through that process. And this is just entrepreneur, financial advisor, decision making is what we're going to talk about. Talk to me about that. Tell us a little bit about what that was like to try to build that team and doing it virtually at that. Yeah, it was intimidating as hell. I think I have become a good business owner and business runner, but this every step, every day has been the first day, first time I've ever gone through that. So, you know, I never ran a business before I started Flow. About two years in, I realized that there was a tremendous demand from potential clients for my services. So the constraint on my growth was actually how many people could I beg work with? So I was the choke point. I knew I needed help, but I was like, I, but what kind of help do I administrative or planning or I don't know. So I literally advertised for a part-time Jack or Jill of all trades. Like, please come work with me and just do whatever I ask you to do. And so I got this wonderful woman. Her name is Sarah. Her name still is Sarah. <laughs> um, and she was in her early career in the tech industry, actually worked for a fintech company, and but she was really interested in financial planning. And so she worked for me on the side of her full-time gig in a tech company. And so she got her feet wet kind of doing a wide variety of things in an RIA. And she enabled me to start getting a little more clarity around okay, what are the tasks, what are the categories of work that I can reasonably delegate to someone else and what do I need to retain for myself? So she helped me figure out that, all right, I need to hire someone, basically full-time, dedicated, administrative person, sort of a, it's evolved into a, a director of operations type role. But basically everything outside of working with the client, providing advice to the client. So also the businessy operation stuff. And so that was Janice. And I hired Janice three years ago about, and then eventually we kept on growing. And again, the choke point was still, there are more women in tech out there who want these services than I can provide, which has, by the way, been a total mind blower, just how many people out there desperately want this help, this financial planning relationship, and how few good financial planners there are to provide it. That's been so eye-opening for me. So about two years ago, I then hired a full-time associate planner. Her name is Maddie. And Sarah went on her own way. And in fact, I think in the meantime, opened up her own RAA. So that, that was a success story. But so now we are a team of three. Janice, who does sort of all the operations stuff. Maddie, who's an associate planner. And me, who's sort of the lead planner and bottle cleaner and everything else. Because yeah. I'm still small, I'm still figuring it out. And still have insecurity about how good of a business runner I am. There should be none. Here, here's the voice of reason. I mean, you're running a pretty damn good business. I think it's better than pretty damn good. I just think it's a damn good business. So, <laughs> Thank you. Uh, but getting to those things that as you go through business, right. And as you're growing and, and you get to that point where it's like, I need help. You've seen that early, you identified it. There's a lot more people out there than I can help by mm -hmm. myself. And now I have to build my team. And sometimes you have to take that step almost away from the business, not in the sense of 
leaving your business, but like growing it, <laughs> you have to take that pause moment. Like, did you stop taking clients at any point to develop these people that you brought onto your team? Yes, we basically consistently for the previous two, two and a half years, we've had a wait list. Mm-hmm. And a few months ago, we in fact just stopped putting people on the wait list and stopped taking clients. Mm-hmm. And in part, that was because our current clients that we have 55 clients now, they were, it seemed like all of them were going through these major upheavals in their life because we work with people in tech, we had like 20 clients going through IPOs simultaneously. Mm-hmm. And that's really work intensive. Lots of people buying homes, getting married, having babies, changing careers, going back to graduate school. And our first responsibility is to our existing clients. So we just shut down sort of the new client thing. And we have intentionally, even before that, constrained our growth. Mm-hmm. One or two new clients per month was all we felt we as a team with how we work could reach that's the fastest we could grow and still give existing clients and these new clients what they deserved and what they needed. Absolutely. And I think it's so awesome just to hear you talk about the business as the business, right? And just how it has to be developed and what you had to do. And I love that part of it because I think sometimes as an advisor, like you said this in the beginning, not a quote, but talked about being owning the business and then running the business or something like that. Mm. Like, you know, how it is uh, working on the business and in the business. And sometimes you get buried in the business and you never get to work on the business. So being very purposeful about taking time away from new clients and respecting the time that your existing clients demand from you, that they need from you. So that I just love this. And this is something that I needed to hear it. I wanted to hear it. So I I just asked. But (laughs) the other things that we wanted to talk about was I know today we were talking about the blueprint for financial decision making Mm. and how you go through those things. What's one of the first things that you would say people should do? Yeah, really with any decision in life, but certainly in financial decisions, the first question is always some version of why. Mm -hmm. What's the point? What am I trying to accomplish? And more sort of fundamentally, you're making financial decisions is what's truly important to me? What kind of life do I want to have? What kind of values do I want to manifest? Mm -hmm. And the clearer you can get on that, and there are a variety of techniques Mm -hmm. for developing that clarity. We use a particular technique in our firm to help our clients, but we know it's not the only way. But the clearer you get on not your financial goals, not like I want to buy a house and I want to retire by the age of 55, but really like values. What does your ideal life look like? Sort of that deathbed confessional. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. if you were dying, what would you want to see that you've done or been or relationships you've had in your life? Get really clear on that. And the financial decisions almost drop right out of that. Mm-hmm. One of the biggest proofs to me of the validity of this approach is when we were helping all those clients through IPOs, right? So they're staring down the barrel of, uh, I'm about to get maybe multiple millions of dollars. Mm -hmm. I was raised by a school teacher. I'm already making at the age of 28 more money than my parents have ever made. And now I'm about to have a $2 million windfall. I have no clue (laughs) what this even means, how to make these decisions. Mm -hmm. And so what we did with our clients and, Having a financial planner to do this with you helps, but it's not absolutely necessary. If you start with, what do you really want out of life? If you're going to identify that, then that's what the money's for. Mm -hmm. And any money above and beyond that level, 
we can care less about it, but we have to be really clear on the money we need to support those essential goals, those essential values. I think like when I'm hearing you, as I'm hearing, listening to you talk, have you ever ran into any obstacles getting clients to think that way? What is your ideal life? Because a lot of times when I have people come in, they tell me what they think I want to hear. And so I'm hearing all these things. But so talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah, it absolutely happens. And I attribute part of it to no matter how skilled I am in this technique or process or idea, I am not going to be able to overcome decades of sort of cultural training Mm -hmm. that clients have been through just being in their own families or being in this country or whatever. Not going to be able to overcome that in one, two or three meetings. Mm -hmm. So yes, it is absolutely hard for people to, it's hard for me too. I'm not, I haven't perfected it either for myself, Mm -hmm. but to sort of dig beneath all of the definitions of success and value that the broader culture just drapes on us Mm -hmm. and get down to like, okay, no, that owning a house, that's what they say I should do, but Mm -hmm. does it really matter to me? I don't know. Maybe I'm in fact looking for a sense of security. And I think owning a house can provide that, but owning a house isn't the real thing I want. It's a sense of security. So part of it is it just takes time and repeated attention to Mm -hmm. this work. And so I went through the registered life planner training with the Kinder Institute. So now I am a registered life planner. And one of the techniques they talk about is repeating a person's words back to them verbatim, not interpreting it in your own language, but letting them hear what they've said in their own words. And it is almost magical mm-hmm. how when you hear back what you just said in your own words, but out of someone else's mouth, it just prompts you to feel something different or more to elaborate on that idea at the end of that conversation, you've reached a deeper level of understanding. And that's exactly it. I think having that level of understanding to say that, okay, this is about security. It's not about the home. This is about, and insecurity can roll into a whole bunch of things. But just having that foresight or even that ability to get them to unpack what it really is, because I think it's just about that, right? Like you get them to unpack it, talk about it. This is what it is. I love that. I've always loved the kinder training, though, the, the stuff that they do, the whole thing. You talked about it. I know. Shout out to Scott Frank because he loves he does that, yeah. too. I mean, you two are the ones that I always look to. Yeah, I, I need to do it. I need to do it. It's one of those. <laughs> you know, I need to do it. I need to do it. Yeah. I mean, I will say that, the, you know, the kinder training does give you a specific technique, a specific set of, of meetings you go through in a specific order, certain questions you ask in each one, certain exercises. And I think all that can be very powerful. But what I think is more important than any of that was the general teaching of you want, you can be an effective, not only financial planner, but any sort of partner, romantic partner, parent, a friend through empathy and silence, be quiet and let the other person talk. And just those two things, be quiet and be empathetic, transformative in a financial planning relationship. That Yeah, I I think it would be transformative in any relationship just because most of the time we just talk all the time. Yep. Yep. I'm guilty, guilty, guilty. <laughs> well, we all are it's just sort of being attentive to it. We're like, ah, damn. <laughs> yeah. I need to shut up now. Like yes. I'm going to shut up. Yeah. I've had that. That happens daily where I find myself saying, yeah, I need to shut up. Mm-hmm. So I definitely want to get into that kinder training just because I think that it'll, uh, 
help so many different relationships that I have, not just with my clients, but family, friends, acquaintances, just different things that I think I would be able to help. What are some things that people shouldn't be stressing out trying to figure out? Like when it comes to their finance, what shouldn't Mm. they be stressed out about? Yeah. My mind goes sort of in two places. One, there is maybe it's in particular the community of people I'm working with in the tech industry. There is this obsession with optimizing things, optimization. (laughs) And honestly, that bores the shit out of me. Mm -hmm. That's the icing on the cake. But if you forget to bake the right cake, who cares about the optimization? Mm -hmm. So whether you're the mutual fund you're invested in has a expense ratio of 15 basis points or 10 basis points. Uh, I mean, sure, all else equal 10 is better than 15. But honestly, if you are wasting your psychic energy on that, as opposed to, oh, hey, I'm currently saving 2% of my income, whereas I need to be saving 20, that's something you want to worry about. That's going to have a meaningful impact Mm -hmm. on your financial security and your financial future. We all have a limited amount of time and actually more importantly, sort of like mental energy, psychic energy to spend on this finance crap. And most people aren't like us. We actually enjoy it. Mm-hmm. For most people, it's a chore, right? Yeah. So you've got a limited amount of time, limited amount of psychic energy, and it's painful. Don't worry about the small stuff. Worry about the short list of things that's really going to move you forward. Savings rate is one of the biggest things. Spending time, like we were talking about before, spending time figuring out what you want in life, knowing where your money is going. I don't do budgets with my clients, but I do want them to know, okay, you're spending $5,000, $10,000, $15,000 a month on what? Does that square with what you've told me your values are? Mm -hmm. So that's, I guess I can summarize it all. by Don't squander your limited psychic energy and time on these minor things. Get a few basic things right and then go live your life. Mm -hmm. And the other thing I notice, and again, this might be exaggerated because I work with people in tech. And so every single one of these tech companies has Slack and they've got at least one internal Slack channel dedicated to company stock or personal finance. And oh my gosh, the tactics are just flying in there. Sometimes they're completely illegal. But most of the time they're legal, but (laughs) irrelevant to my clients, right? Because the financial decisions right for one person are not necessarily the ones right for another person. I think maybe because it's easier or more accessible or something, start with tactics instead of starting with that broader strategy of what am I trying to accomplish? Okay, now let's figure out what tactics I need to do. Should I be saving to my after-tax 401k as a tactic? The strategy is I need to save X dollars so that I, per year, so they can retire at the age of 50 or whatever it is. But people get so wrapped up in tactics. And then I can't tell you how many prospective clients or even existing clients come to me like, okay, backdoor Roth IRA. I have no idea what that is. Should I be doing that? Because backdoor Roth IRA is a huge topic of conversation in these Slack channels. I'm like, okay, well, let's talk about what it is. And why that tactic may or may not be appropriate for you. The biggest, what I'm hearing you say is make sure that you remember personal financial planning is personal because everybody (laughs) has a Slack channel, like you said, or it could be friends, family, everybody else is always going to give you the new, the hottest stock tip and the newest whatever thing is going on. And the thing that 
people have to realize is if you start with tactics, not the strategy, right? Let's figure out the why we want to do this. Even the way that you're explaining this, find out why, then come up with a strategy. Then we can use tactics to make sure that- implement the strategy. To make sure that the why is taken care of. But the why starts personal. It's a personal thing. And so I think that even the way that you're explaining it connects everything, right? Mm -hmm. Love this. Personal financial planning can be viewed as two things. If you broke it down like that, the two things. I love the use of sort of frameworks or filters to help understand sort of nebulous topics. And financial planning is a very nebulous topic. I mean, those of us who practice it have a notion, but kind of no one else does. No. <laughs> uh, and so one of the lenses I use to explain financial planning is that it can be broken down into risk management and opportunity planning. And I actually got this framework from my business coach, Elizabeth Jaton. So I don't want to take any credit for that particular framing. But what that basically breaks down into is, well, in practice in our firm, when we first start working with a client, the first category of stuff we're looking at in your whole complicated, multifaceted financial life is, are there any dangers there, right? Do you not have a cash cushion? Do you not have the right insurance of whatever variety for your situation? Do you have kids, but you don't have a will that designates a guardian? Any of these sort of red flags of, ah, danger, that's risk management. So the first category of stuff that we want to deal with, because if we don't deal with that, your life can be upended catastrophically in a moment at any time. We don't know what. But once we have that dealt with, and it might be a heavy lift initially, but sort of maintaining that is much easier, then we can get to the much more fun and exciting and invigorating and inspiring opportunity planning, right? especially if, well, I don't know, I don't work with retirees, so I can't throw any sort of shade about sort of that stage of life or planning with them. But I certainly know that if you're in your 20s, your 30s, your 40s, and you are in the tech industry, my goodness, like the universe of opportunities ahead of you is boundless. And that's one of the exciting things about working with people in tech is that not only are the opportunities boundless, but you're getting paid so well that you can sort of stockpile that money so that you can take advantage of whichever of those opportunities you end up deciding is right for you. I think we're in some sort of, some of the thought leaders in our profession talk about planning for goals, quote unquote goals is really hard because no one knows what their goals are. Maybe they know they want to buy a house this year, but like, what are your goals five years from now? I mean, I certainly can't answer that. That's one of the things I've realized as a business owner. I can't make specific five-year plans. Like it just doesn't work for me. Mm-hmm. So instead of goals planning, do possibilities-based planning. Given your financial situation now and what we know about sort of upcoming financial situation, what could you be doing? Could you go back to school? Could you take a sabbatical? Could you change careers? Could you buy a home? And because so many of the people who come to us are frozen, they almost have this like, no, you work nine to five in this job until you die, stockpiling all of that money. Maybe you think you can buy a house. And it's really up to us to say, sure, if that is what you want, right? Some people are very comfortable with having the same job for 40 years. Cool. But look at all these other things that you could do. I am telling you, as your trained and experienced, fully operational financial planner, you can reasonably do all of these other things. Look at this. That is so exciting for our clients to see because 
they just felt fearful ahead of time. The whole thing that I'm throughout the theme of what you're saying is start with why. And if mm-hmm. the why has been a discovered in that first, or you're still discovering it in the beginning, then it makes all of these other things easy, right? Mm-hmm. Because you're saying, okay, what's the opportunities that we're planning for? Do you want to retire at this age? Do you want to do this? Do you want to do this? And when you're talking about your ideal life, you can say, okay, my ideal life is I want to not go to work at nine to five when I turn 50. I want to be able to travel a little bit. There's some different things. You know, I have some ambitions. I want to go see these certain things. And now we can back into the strategy, the tactics, Mm -hmm. and then we can take first managing those risks and then plan for the opportunities that are within your why. Yeah. And the risks too (laughs) fit very closely into your why also, right? Mm -hmm. If you work with anyone with kids and you ask them to sort of talk about the things that are most important to them, protecting and providing for their kids is always going to be top three. Always. Well, life insurance and disability insurance might be extremely boring topics but they are some of the most powerful things you can do Mm -hmm. to honor that value, to honor that desire you have to protect and provide for your kids. So you can always connect even the most sort of technical, boring, sort of academic financial planning topics to what's truly important in a person's life. I love this, Meg. This is great. And just as I'm thinking about it, just as you've had, because you say you're dealing with a lot of people in tech, that's your focus. Mm -hmm. And then the opportunities, like when you're talking about that, I think about the opportunities that that young person is going to have, or that person in tech, we don't have to put age on them, just that Mm -hmm. person in tech is going to have. And having someone to be able to guide them through some of those decisions after Mm -hmm. they establish that why and what you do for your clients is so awesome. I've always admired that, just how you work with them, the way you think through the processes, the way you deal with the problems that they have. And it's all very, very structured. And if someone was new planner starting out or something like that, because mm-hmm. your ducks are in a row, what mm-hmm. would you say to that person? Oh, well, I mean, the best way to learn this stuff is to work with someone who's doing it. And for example, I know you helped co-found the BLX internship program, right? Perfect internships. I mean, if you're like super early in your career in financial planning, that's the best way because interns should be put into meetings really quickly. They don't have to say anything, but everyone knows how to write. You can take notes. Proximity to and exposure to planners who are doing it well is going to be sort of the best, most effective way to learn. And I will also say that if you're going to be in a position like me or like you were when we started our firms, we had practice, we had experience in the profession, but I'd never been sort of the lead person who was responsible for getting and maintaining all the client relationships. Your clients are your best teachers, Mm -hmm. right? If you just keep in mind, what does this client need to be best served? And sometimes I ask that question explicitly, like when we had our spring meetings, we talk about all sorts of topics and I'll say, hey, unless something comes up, the next time we'll meet will be in the fall. Between now and then, How can we best serve you? But even if you don't ask clients that explicitly, you can just tell by the kind of questions they're bringing to you, the kind of situations they're bringing to you, what kind of of work on your part would be really valuable to them. And this really helps if you have a niche focus, Mm -hmm. because then instead of the entire universe of life and finance, 
your clients are going to be experiencing more or less the same thing. So you start to see patterns in terms of what your clients need and just paying consistent attention to that and creating your practice, whether you are an employee or a firm owner, like we are tailoring your service, your deliverables, your fee model, all of that to who your clients are and what they need, just paying attention to that. And then thirdly, I'd say much in the way that you are always very nicely praising me for sort of how, how much you benefited from that mentorship for a year. If you're already in the industry working as a financial planner at whatever level, and you see other people doing things the way you want to be doing them for whatever definition of things that is, reach out to those people or somehow get access to what they're doing. Some well-known financial planners run coaching programs, sign up for that. Some of them like me don't do anything formal like that, but I reserve time on every Friday for people to reach out to me and ask me whatever they want. It is in many ways a profession of curiosity. You have to be curious to improve. Absolutely. I love this. I think this is all great, man. Meg, it's always a pleasure. Just anytime I can pick your brain and now everybody else gets to hear it. So this is (laughs) awesome. We'll get to record it and now can play it back forever. So as you know, this is the Minority Money Podcast where we are changing the complexion of wealth. What motivates and inspires Meg to continue to learn, grow, and lead? Gosh, uh, what inspires me? One, this is just really interesting work to do. I got into the profession because I like the analytical aspect of it. And there is no end to that. You can always learn more technical information. But the more I practice, the more my interest shifts over to the behavioral, the interpersonal, the communication, the relationship aspect of the work. And there's so much to be learned there. And the more you learn, the more clients you work with, really the more beauty you see. If you do any of this explicit life planning work, people are just sharing with you these deeply held values and desires and fears and anxieties and love for people in their lives. And that is so inspiring to know like, wow, on a regular basis, I am being reminded of the beauty that (laughs) that is within Mm -hmm. each of us that we don't necessarily see otherwise. So there's definitely intellectual gratification, learning more stuff, getting better at a skill. Then there is the fact that this just reminds me of regularly, reminds me of how humans are fundamentally beautiful creatures, even if we don't always act that way. (laughs) And also now that my business is over five years old and we have a certain amount of stability in terms of our process and our team and our revenue, I don't need to grow for my own financial sake anymore. We could just stay on this trajectory and every year and make a little more money and my team would make a little more money and we'd be fine. Now it is inspiring for me to see how we can grow our team to both serve more people. Because like I said, the demand is so huge, right? And people benefit so much from this work and they make dumb, damaging mistakes without this help. Mm -hmm. So I want to be able to serve more of those people. I also want to be able to provide more opportunities, as tiny as we are, more opportunities within the profession so that people can get experience in a true financial advice, true financial planning environment, instead of the only opportunity being to go work for the 
Morgan Stanley's or Merrill Lynch's of the world where you're salesperson first and everything else second. So that is exciting to me. I love what you said and just going back to enjoying people and like the part where you said that we're all like, we're actually wonderful humans. And when you can get to see the good parts of people through the life planning process, I think that's so incredible. That makes me want to do it more. Mm-hmm. If you can offer a piece of advice to our listeners, what would that piece of advice be? A single piece of advice. Well, well, it, it could be pieces, it, just it would, a piece of advice. Piece I mean, I, I think you probably have at least a couple different audiences. There are financial planners who listen to you, and then there are just regular schmoes who aren't financial planners. Mm-hmm. So I'll talk to the regular schmoes in this advice, which is you need to learn about personal finance. Working with a financial planner is great, but you still need to learn about personal finance regardless. And it doesn't need to be that complicated. Get the basics right, put it aside, go live your life. There's a personal finance author or guru out there, Ramit Sethi, who wrote, I will teach you to be rich. You familiar? So he's pretty vocal and snarky. So that might, his style might not be the best for everyone, but I agree with so many of his sentiments around personal finance. Figure out what the most important thing is, set up your life to save or whatever, the few basics, and then stop. Don't live in your spreadsheet. Don't obsess. If you don't want to learn about cryptocurrency, cool. That is not essential to a successful financial life. There are very few things that are essential to it. So go read a book or two. Read, I Will Teach You to Be Rich. I did. I thought it was a great book. There are just so many shiny items and basically so many charlatans out there telling you about all these crazy get rich schemes or just weird big promises. No, this stuff doesn't happen overnight. It happens over years of consistent behavior, but it's simple behavior. It doesn't have to be complicated. So yeah, that was a whole mess of stuff all stewed together there. But it's good. I think that solid advice coming from a solid advisor who's built a solid practice who helps a lot of people. So I think you probably would be an authority on telling people what they need to know about personal finance. If people want to get more of Meg, what social media platforms are you active on so they can tap in with Meg? Yeah, probably most active on Twitter, honestly. My handle is my name, Meg Bartelt, N-E-G-B-A-R-T-E-L-T. Also on LinkedIn under the same name and Facebook. I don't really participate that much there. That's under my business name, Flow FP. And then I have a website with a blog that we, you know, that I write for a couple times a month. That's flowfp.com. Nice. We will put all of the links in the show notes to all of those. Thank you, Meg. Thank you so much for coming onto the show. It's always an honor and just to hang out with you. And today we actually got to record it. So that makes it even better. Thank you. You're welcome. As you all know, the Minority Money Podcast, I am your host, Emlyn Miles Mattingly, where we are changing the complexion of wealth. Until next time. Another great showdown, but it doesn't have to stop there. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on whatever podcast app you're listening on now and give it a good rating, would you? If you feel really connected to the podcast, which I hope you do, find our Facebook community, Minority Money VIP, to support and be supported by others just like you. And again, we're glad to have you. While this podcast is meant to inspire and motivate you to live your best life, it can't be your complete one-stop shop. I know, I know, that really sucks. But I don't know anything about your specific situation. So please reach out to an attorney or CPA, or you can reach out to me, a financial planner, to help you with your specific situation. To get a hold of us, please reach us at 
fan at Minority Money Podcast. That's F-A-N at Minority Money Podcast so we can get to know you there. Thanks for being here and until next time.